One thing about ministry is you, you don't do this alone. If you're married, your spouse is just as much a part of this as anybody. Um, Susan is responsible for most of my sanity other than what, you know, God working through her. Is, and so um, when you have someone on staff, you also have the spouse. And Steve has been an instrumental part of this as well. And so very thankful for him and for them. And, and I know God's still going to do incredible things through you guys. And, and excited to see that. Don't just say that. I really do believe that. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. If you'll turn in your Bible there, um, Acts chapter 20, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. Uh, we're in a series called On the Move, and we're looking at how Paul has gone from place to place, and really, more importantly, what is Paul doing as he goes from place to place? Today, we're going to see a, a little bit of a glimpse into that again. In Acts chapter 20, we're going to see some of the message that Paul has been preaching. He's actually reminding um, some Christians. This is one of the few speeches we see Paul give in Acts that is to Christians. He's reminding um, these Ephesian elders, these leaders in the church in Ephesus, about his lifestyle. He's reminding them about the message he's preached. And there's a couple of verses in here that really grab my heart that I want us to look at today that I feel like are so encouraging, so challenging, so convicting for me. Um, and I believe God wants to share that with each of us. So let's go to Acts chapter 20. We're gonna begin reading in verse 17. As I said, this is looking at how Paul is going from place to place. We're getting really close to the end of Acts. We're moving there pretty quickly now. Um, and Paul's life is, is beginning to head towards sort of its final destination in Rome. Um, and so we're, we're still following him at this point through this. Um, and so verse 17 and 20, it says, From Miletus, Paul, went, or Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the, most, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And listen to this verse. This is one of the verses that really grabbed my attention. It says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now listen to what Paul says in 20. He says, now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, this is the things I love about Paul. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I've not hesitated to proclaim to you and this is the other part that grabbed me, 
have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. We're gonna stop there. There's so much in this passage. I would encourage you to go back and read this again and spend some time in it yourself, but we're gonna stop right there for today. Lord, I thank you that we can open your word. I thank you for the grace that we've been given to desire your word. Lord, I pray you would speak to us today. Give us eyes to see Jesus more clearly, to see you more clearly, to grasp how wide and deep and long and wide the love of Christ is. Lord, give us hands of faith to take hold of Jesus and the promises you've given us in him. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to us today. And Lord, give us feet to follow Jesus into his mission and his purposes for our life. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. We worship you. Let our hearts be like the heart of Paul, that our only aim would be to finish the race, to complete the task that you've set before us. Give us grace for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So something happened to me this week. It's kind of funny. Um, I have had multiple, multiple people tell me I need to wash my truck. So even had one person uh, give me a card for a free car wash. And they said, if you'll just go show this to them, they will wash your truck for you. Um, other people, they're like, hey, you know, like you, you can go to uh, Gugu or whatever the place is over there. It don't take much to get your truck washed um, and, and things like that. And, and here's the thing for me, guys, is like, for me, I don't really care. I, the truck I had before this one, I, I probably had, um, I've had it for probably 11, 12 years. I bet you, seriously, I could count on one hand how many times I washed that truck in 11 or 12 years because it just doesn't really bother me. To me, it's like something that gets me from point A to point B. I'm not out there trying to like, you know, look real good. It's just not what the truck is for for me. I'm not I'm trying to turn heads and get people to notice my truck. And, and so here's the thing though, for some people that is important. And it's based off of our own opinion kind of of the vehicle or how we see it, what we think maybe um, is right or how it should be done. Um, for me, it doesn't matter. For others, it does. Now, here's the thing. That's not a heaven or hell issue. It's something, though, that we see and we feel like this is how it should be. This is how it should be done. And I say that to say that we all have in our own minds the way things should look. We have in our own minds the way things should be designed, the way they should be um, utilized, the intent of things, the way they should look, the way things should function. We all have in our own mind those things. Well, here's the thing I want you to see in that is something much bigger than that is God also has a design. God also has an intent. God didn't arbitrarily create the earth and everything in it. He created it with a design. Now here's where it differs for me and you. Um, 
and God. God has the authority to establish what is right. He has the authority to establish what is the ultimate design and purpose for creation. You and I can have opinions about that design, but God has the final say in that design. And we need to understand that, that when he created everything, he created it with a design in mind, with a purpose in mind. One of the verses I told you that grabbed my attention as I've been studying this is verse 27. And in that, Paul says, I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now, when Paul's saying that, what he's saying is, I've taught you God's larger purpose. I've taught you God's plan for creation. I've taught you um, God's will, his general will for the earth and what that looks like. He's saying, I've taught you all of this. And he said, I've not withheld that for you or from you. And so what they were taught and what we need to realize is that God has a very specific intent, a very specific design in mind for the earth. And we as a church have looked at that a lot going all the way back to Genesis. And we know this from creation, um, that God's intent is good. If you think about it, when he began to create everything, he said he saw it and it was good. God's intent is good. He had a good design in mind. In fact, when he created mankind, he looked and he looked and he saw everything he created and he said, it is very good. We know sin happened. We know the fall came and the creation is now not what it was intended to be. And yet here's what's incredible. If you look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible takes us from paradise to paradise from perfection to perfection, from Genesis one and two to the end of Revelation where we see once again mankind in the intent that God had in mind from the beginning. And so there's this overall design, this overall purpose that God has given. Here's one thing I want you to see and understand today that I think is really, really important that the entire purpose of what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is to return the earth to God's design and God's intent. The entire purpose of what we call the gospel is to return the earth to God's design, to his original intent. This is the God, the gospel is not, does not just exist in the gospel books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel begins, um, we, we see the, the story, the account of the gospel from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. And so I really want you to see this, that the purpose of the gospel is to return the earth, to return God's creation back to God's original design and his intent, which we know again from Genesis 1 is good, it's good. Paul mentions the will of God. I hear a lot of people oftentimes say, you know, I wanna know what God's will is. Here's the thing we usually mean in that is I wanna know what God's will for my life is. And God 
has a plan and a purpose for every person in this room, every person in the earth. He has a plan and a purpose for us. But understand this, that we will not find God's specific will for our lives outside of the general will of God for his creation. And the will of God, again, is found within God's design. You wanna know what your will or God's will for your life is, then see how it fits within God's original plan, his design for creation. You will not find it outside of that because it does not exist outside of that. I got a friend who, every time I see him, he's searching for purpose. He's searching for purpose, searching for purpose. And here's the thing, as long as he continues to try to find his purpose outside of God and God's design and God's will as revealed in scripture, he's never gonna find it. Our purpose, our design, God's will for our life fits into, in some way, um, into his original intent, his original design. Now, the other verse I told you that really grabbed my attention was verse 21. And in this, Paul is telling them how he's preached publicly and from house to house. And then he goes to 21, he says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And he says two things there. One, he says, turn to God or turn towards God. The other is, he says, have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now these are really important in the grand scheme of things. In fact, what we're gonna see is without faith and repentance, without repentance and faith, we cannot fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Without repentance and faith, we cannot participate in returning the earth to God's original intent and his design. So I wanna take a minute and just look at what is God's purpose in repentance. Here's one thing we know about repentance is repentance is necessary for salvation. If we are going to come to a place of salvation, of relationship with God, of being made new in Christ, then we have to come to a place of repentance. Many times we think about repentance negatively, but repentance is a good thing. And the Bible tells us that it's God's loving kindness, his patience that leads us to repentance. So I want to spend just a second looking at what repentance is. One, repentance is this. Repentance is a second thought that corrects an incorrect first thought. So repentance is a second thought that corrects an incorrect first thought. In fact, the Greek word for repentance literally means change of mind or to change one's mind. So it's a change in the way we think. It's a change in the way we think. So we have a second thought that corrects an incorrect first thought. That causes us then to have a shift or a correction to our worldview. And what's our worldview? The way we see God, the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, the way we see our purpose. There is this shift in worldview that we begin to see God, um, we begin to see things according to how God sees them. We begin to see them according to God's word. And so our 
thinking begins to change. We begin to have correct thoughts replacing incorrect thoughts. So my worldview begins to change. I see God differently. I see myself differently. I see others differently. I see my purpose differently. So now I begin to think differently. If I begin to think differently about God, myself, others, and my purpose, I'll begin to live differently. Because thinking controls the decisions I make. The decisions I make control how I live. So if our minds are renewed, as Paul says, then guess what? My life will be transformed. How are they renewed? Renewed back to God's design, to God's intent. So there's a shift in worldview because there's a correction to our thinking. So then repentance, listen to me, repentance is then a return to God's design. It's coming into agreement that God's design is right. Listen to this verse. Man, I love the Bible because I've read this verse. I'm gonna tell you how many times I've read this verse that I'm about to read to you. And yet this week I saw it so different, like it just wham, it all of a sudden came alive in a different way to me as I was thinking through this concept of repentance. It's in Luke chapter seven. And in Luke chapter seven, beginning about verse 18, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and he's talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. And he says this, um, he talks about in verse 28, he's like, there's among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. And then in the midst of recording what Jesus says, Luke takes a second to insert his own thoughts. If your Bible has Jesus's words in red and you look there at verse 29 and 30, then what you notice is they are in black. Luke inserts this. Listen to verse 29, this is incredible to me. It says in verse 29, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus's words, acknowledged that God's way was right. Isn't that awesome? It is to me, so many people repented. See, John's baptism, the Bible tells us, was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of a change of mind. I see God differently, myself differently, others differently, my purpose differently now. And so it was so vast and such a move of God through the preaching of John and the preparation of people's hearts for Jesus that Luke was able to say all the people. Does that mean down to every single person? No, no, no. It just means there were so many people whose eyes were open and whose minds were changed that Luke could say it was too many to number, but I can tell you it was a lot of them. And they all came to this place of saying, God's ways are right. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome until God's way goes against the way we think something ought to be, right? And then we don't like that. But guess what? God's intent is what? Good. God's intent is good. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about why something's a sin? Like we talk about sin, you ever thought about why it's a sin? Why are the 10 commandments, like breaking the 10 commandments, why is that a sin? Why is it a sin? Because it's outside of God's design. See, we weren't intended to murder. We weren't intended to steal. We weren't intended to worship idols that aren't, aren't gods. 
We weren't intended to covet our neighbor's property. We weren't intended to have affairs outside of marriage. We weren't intended to dishonor our mother and father. We weren't intended to work seven days a week and never rest. We weren't intended to take the Lord's name. None of those things. Those are the things we were not intended to do those things. It's outside of God's design. When you go through scripture and, and even in Paul's letters, when he's listing out the different sins, why are those sins? Because they're outside of God's design. Not because there was some arbitrary thing that somebody just goes, you know what? We shouldn't kill people, right? But those things are outside of God's design. What he intended and we know his intent is good. Here's the other thing that I would say. If the church was more brokenhearted over the sin of people instead of sitting up high above them, looking down on them, people would be able to hear these messages a lot better than they do, right? If we were brokenhearted over the sin in people's lives, instead of wanting to shoot the wounded, how much different would people hear the message? But there's, people literally hate the church because of the church. People don't like Jesus because of his people. We gotta do something about that. The sin we see in other people's lives and in my life should lead us to being brokenhearted over the sin, not casting judgment over the sin. We should have a desire to restore, not to stomp. And here's the other thing, man, that churches, gosh, we do this, y'all. We gotta get better. We gotta have our own change of mind, our own repentance. We are really good, guys, at calling people to repent of the things that the Bible says you shall not, right? You shall not. You shall not have, um, you know, you should not commit adultery. You should not... Uh, murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, you should not worship other gods. We're really good at going through and picking out the should nots. Don't do this, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Right? You told a lie going to hell. I do, I, sometimes I tell my kids that, but anyway, a little, little, little hellfire brimstone every now and then. But really and truthfully, we're good at saying, Hey, don't do those things. Here's another thing though. Here's another thing. And this, this really convicted me this week. How about this? How about the fact that not doing the you shalls is just as much of a sin as doing the you shall nots? Dang, right? Not doing the you shalls is just as much of a sin as doing the you shall nots. Think about some of the things that Jesus told us to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart. How about this one? Go into all the world and make disciples. 
We teach on that like it's a suggestion, not like it's a command. We teach on that and we talk about that like as long as I'm not sleeping with somebody outside of my marriage, as long as I ain't killing people, as long as, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not going out and stealing from people, then, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I make a disciple. No, right? This is, this is important. And see, we can get fired up, man, like when we're talking about like, hey, hey, we need to quit judging people. We need to quit judging them when they do those things they should not do. But then when we're like, hey, we're just as big as sinners because you know what? We're not doing what he said to do. And then we're all like, we don't like that as much. But it's the truth, guys. And here's the thing, grace covers it all. Grace covers it all. There's no condemnation in this. But the reality of it is we are called to make disciples and we as the church need to repent for not making disciples. We need to have a change of mind. There needs to be a change of mind that takes place in the church where we realize this is of utmost importance that we share Jesus and see Jesus replicated in other people as God uses us to pour in his word through the power of the Holy Spirit and people's lives are being changed. There is no way around it that that is our primary purpose in life. Think about it this way. I was talking with Jordan Thigpen this morning and he had a great analogy. I told him I wasn't gonna give him credit for it, but I did. I said, it came from God because you're not that smart and so therefore it has no copyright. He's actually really smart. He actually uses words that I'm like, dude, can you put that in South Georgian for me? Because I don't know what you're talking about. He's super smart. But he said, you know, it's kind of like telling a child, don't make your room dirty and they make it dirty, right? Or saying, clean up your room and they don't clean it up. It's really the same thing, right? Either way, they didn't do what they were asked to do. And so for us, if we're doing the you shall nots or we're not doing the you shalls, it's all the same and we need to have a change of mind brought on by God's grace and the power of his spirit who opens our eyes and I pray that more than anything this morning, our eyes would be open to this reality that our primary purpose and God's intent and design for our life is primarily to make disciples, to see other people become followers of Jesus. But understand this, guys, and this is so important. Don't hear this and be like, oh, I suck as a person. You might, but no, I'm kidding. You don't. I'm sure you don't. Repentance is not behavior modification. Repentance happens because of a desire to live for God, which comes from a changed heart. The only one who can do that is God. And he does it when we hear the message of the gospel and the spirit moves in our hearts and the spirit opens our eyes. And by faith, in fact, we're about to talk about faith, we grab hold of Jesus. So God's purpose in repentance is us to return to his design, understanding that his design and his intent is good. 
What about God's purpose and faith? That was the other part of this. Paul said this, he said, and have faith in our Lord Jesus to turn toward God, a change of mind towards God and to have faith in our Lord Jesus, God's purpose and faith. If you go and look at Ephesians 2.8, this is um, a passage of scripture that is talked about a lot in the church. It's a little harder for us to grasp um, how immensely good this passage is, but it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. So here's the other thing I would say is, we know repentance, Peter said in Luke, or in Acts 2.38, when he had preached this message, and these people, says, were cut to the heart, and they were under conviction, and they knew, I need God, and they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. So repentance is necessary for salvation. A change of mind about God is necessary for salvation. Change of mind about ourselves, others, our purpose is necessary for salvation. A turning from sin and turning to God is necessary for salvation. But so is faith as we see this, that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. In other words, it is a work of God in our life because we cannot save ourselves. So faith is a gift from God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God giving us eyes to see the person of Jesus and who he is, um, our need for Jesus. It is um, God giving us uh, faith that we can take hold of Christ. It is God giving us ears through the Holy Spirit that we can hear his voice and his call to himself. It is um, the Holy Spirit and faith that gives us feet to follow Jesus into his mission. And so he gives us eyes to see, hands to take hold. He gives us um, ears to hear and he gives us feet to follow. It happens by grace through faith, God doing for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. And it's faith, listen. And faith is kind of this arbitrary, it's kind of hard sometimes to, to wrap our minds around. But faith in its simplest form is trust and belief that leads us to action. It's trust and belief that leads us to action. And I want you to understand this that it's faith, it is belief and trust that takes hold of Jesus and his promises. I believe and I trust in Jesus. God has opened my eyes to see who he is and my need for him, my purpose in this earth, my purpose with others. And I need him, I take hold of him. But here's the thing I would tell you, faith in and of itself has no value. Listen, faith in and of itself has no value. I can have belief and trust in anything, really anything that I think I can believe in. I think I can trust in this. Maybe I put the weight of my life on this. I look to this to save me. But listen, faith in and of itself has no value. The value of faith is in the object of our faith. Does that make sense? The value of our faith, the quality of our faith 
is in the object of our faith. In other words, in, as Christians, the value of our faith is not faith itself. It's in the object of our faith, Jesus. So I can put faith in anything. We put faith in things all the time, right? We turn a light switch on. We believe and trust it's probably gonna work unless it's like my house and you've got 50% of your light bulbs out. We put faith in our cars that we believe and trust. When I turn this thing on, it's gonna crank instead of blowing up. We can put belief and faith in anything. But I want you to understand, in regards to salvation, faith is what takes hold of Christ. I thought about it this week like, like this, that for us, faith is like a drowning man or a drowning woman taking hold of a life preserver. I realize I am sinking. I realize I am going down. I realize I need someone to save me. And I take hold of something that can actually do that. And so brought this little handy dandy life preserver. I don't know if I can get that over my big old melon or not, but, but think about it this way. If you're drowning, I'm gonna pick on you, Tanya, is that good? You don't have to get up, you can sit there. I'm gonna throw this to you, just catch it, all right? It'll be good, it'll be good. Do you have faith? You have faith? Okay, good, we'll be fine then. (laughs) Shh, don't bring that up. All right, so here's the thing. If you're drowning, if you're drowning, which one do you want me to throw you? This one? So it's getting heavy, by the way. No, would you want me to throw you this one or this one? Yeah, why? Because it'll save you. Yeah, this one can give you life, right? It can save life. Guess what this one's gonna do? It's gonna sink you faster, right? So here's my question, folks. Why do we put our faith, our belief and trust in so many things that can't save us? Why do we live for so many things that do not have the ability to give us life? Our jobs, our spouses, our boyfriends, girlfriends, our major, our our kids, even our health. We live for things all the time that cannot save us. So we need to see this and understand that we so many times put our faith in things that cannot save. And yet every day of our life, we should be like that drowning man, that drowning woman who by faith takes hold of Jesus and says, today, I thank you again that you have saved my life. Today, and we talked about this last week, today I set my attention on you, Jesus. So repentance and faith equal salvation. Repentance and faith equal salvation. And I told you this ties back in to God's overall purpose, his overall design, his overall intent. So if repentance and faith lead us to salvation and they're 
necessary for salvation. In fact, I brought a quarter. You hear people say this all the time, that they're sort of like uh, something, you know, two things are uh, like opposite sides of a coin. You hear people say that all the time. I mean, they, they go together, right? And so faith and repentance and salvation go together. I got to thinking about that analogy and people using it. And I thought about this. Look, I, I can give you this unless you got some kind of really advanced tool. You're not separating this. So on one side, there's heads. On the other side is what we call tails. And you're not gonna separate the two. Well, in salvation, faith and repentance are like that. You're not gonna separate the two. You don't have one without the other. Without faith, you don't have a change of mind. And without a change of mind, you're not gonna come to faith. And so they work together to lead us to this place of salvation. I thought about giving somebody the quarter and letting them try, but I'd rather keep my 25 cents. And so I'm not gonna do that. But faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. Can't be separated. Faith and repentance are required for salvation. But what's the purpose of salvation? Now listen, listen. I know we're getting close to time. We're getting real close. So we're almost done. But listen to this. This is really, really important. In the church today, we have lessened or diminished salvation. We have lessened or diminished salvation. For us, salvation has become heaven. Salvation is about a church word called glorification, that one day we will be with God in heaven. So that when we have our funeral, we can say nice things and know that we're in a good place. And that has become the sum total of salvation for us. And if that were it, that would be good. That would be awesome. That God made a way for us to go to heaven, to spend eternity with him. But salvation is so much bigger than that. In the American church, we've kind of just made it about heaven, but it's so much bigger. I got to thinking about this, Jordan and I talking this morning again, and it was like, you know, we have this concept of salvation that is kind of like a country music gospel, right? I was thinking about it. Three songs you can sum up the entire gospel in America. Number one, Luke Bryan. I believe most people are good. They're not, right? We're not good. The only reason we think we're good is because we compare ourselves to bad people, not to God. Second thing. So I, I believe most people are good. I'm not that bad. I mean, really. Second song, Alan Jackson, where I come from, working hard to get to heaven. Because listen, I'm not that bad. Certainly I can do a little bit of good and I'll get to heaven. Surely at my funeral, they can say, well, Brandon was a good man. Brandon went to church. Brandon believed in Jesus. He worked hard to get to heaven. The last one, the last one, this one's funny to me. Joe Diffie propped me up beside the jukebox. Right? Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight. Right? And that's kind of our concept. Lord, I'm pretty good. Lord, I'm working hard. Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight because I got some partying to do before I get there. Right? I got some stuff I want to do, Lord. Don't take me yet. And that kind of sums up the American gospel. 
But salvation is so much bigger. Is salvation new life? Yes, 100%. Is salvation going to heaven? Yes, but that's not all. Understand this, the purpose of salvation is not just to get to heaven. You have been recreated in Christ to make disciples. You have been recreated in Christ to be a renewing agent in the world. Now let's get to it. Let's have a change of mind about it. Let's repent for our lack of not being a part of making disciples and let's get after it. If you really wanna know what your will or God's will for your life is, more so than a specific vocation and all those things, God certainly leads us into those things. The primary purpose, the will of God for your life is to make disciples. So here's what we need to do. We need to grab someone and start walking with them as we walk with God. That's what it is. It's not that hard. And here's the things we say is, I don't feel like I'm in a good enough place to make disciples. I just don't feel like I'm in a good enough place. If you wait until you're good enough, you'll never do it because Luke Bryan has lied to you. Grab somebody, start walking with them as you walk with God. Listen, the, another excuse we make is, I don't feel like I know enough to make disciples. Nobody does. If you wait to know it all, guess what? You're gonna die waiting. You're never gonna know it all. People are still gonna have questions that you don't know the answer to. There are some questions in life we just don't know the answer. So get to it. There are too many lost, hurting people for us to let our feelings determine our action when we have clear commands from God and we know that he's given us his spirit and his word to do what he has created us to do. So here's the thing I would encourage you with. You, listen, you were put here to be a part of bringing God's design back to the earth. Small pieces, little steps, one at a time. Will it be perfected in our lifetime? Not unless Jesus comes back, but that is our call. We're called to live in repentance. Our minds are constantly being renewed to see the world, our worldview, the way God sees it according to the truth he's provided us with. We're called to live in faith, taking hold of God's promises, our eyes being open, um, our ears being attentive and our feet following Jesus into his mission. And we gotta realize that our salvation is for a bigger purpose than just going to heaven. And so my encouragement to you today is grab someone and start walking through life with them as you walk with God. It is that simple. They don't need Yoda, right? They don't need a Jedi. They just need someone that loves God and loves them and is willing to walk in that relation, those relationships with them. So Father, we thank you this morning that we have a greater purpose, Lord. We have a greater intent, Lord. You have a greater design, Lord, than what we even give ourselves credit for. You have a greater purpose for your church. Would you open our eyes to see that purpose? 
Would you give us grace to grab hold of that purpose? Would you give us faith to grab hold of it, Lord? The, the promises that you've given us in scripture. God, that we would repent, not just of the things, Lord, that we've done that are the you should nots, but God, we would have a change of mind about the you shalls, that we would see the importance. God, I pray right now for every person in this room that they would not buy into the lie of hell that tells them they cannot do what you created them to do. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, blow a fresh wind inside of them that gives them boldness and courage to step out in the greatest movement of love and of the Spirit that we have ever seen and that disciples would be made and multiplied throughout the earth in waves and waves and waves upon waves, God. God, these are your people. We are your people. Infuse us, God, with your spirit and grace, with faith. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Let us be as Paul was, Lord, that our only aim, and we need your grace for this, Lord. We need your power that our only aim would be to finish the race, to complete the task that you put us here for. In Jesus' name, amen.